You've heard them talk about independent successes. You've heard them discuss big blockbusters that people have forgotten. And the world saw them when they talked about that movie. You know which one. Broadcasting live across the world to the thing that is known as the internet and from a structure that is about as small as a laptop, it's Overdue Rentals! Talking about The Truman Show. Welcome back, everybody, to Overdue Rentals, the show where we talk about films that, for some reason, don't get as much attention as they once did. I'm Matthew Shuckman. And I'm Cinema Blends Mike Reyes. And this week's pick is especially interesting because it has a psychological syndrome named after it, and people aren't talking about it as much. Yes, we are talking about Paramount's 1998 film, The Truman Show. And Matthew... I believe you wrangled us a very special guest on True Talk this week to to guide us through this beautiful Jim Carrey film that really deserved to net him his first Oscar nomination, but didn't. And we'll really get into that later. But anyway, Matthew, who did you bring on today? Yes, we have our good colleague, my good friend, who I don't get to see in person as much as I used to, unfortunately. But maybe one day again, I will get to hang out in person with Chiara Spagnoli Gabardi. Chiara, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Matthew, for inviting me. Thank you, Mike, for having me join here. And um, this film is very special to me. Uh, for those of you who are watching us and do not know me, besides being a film critic and a journalist, I also teach a course at university, which is called Phenomenology of Contemporary Arts. And phenomenology is all about the philosophy that studies experience. And I found so many themes in the Truman Show that connect to this discipline. Before, so this before you get into I it, though, before you get into it, because then who don't, who don't know yet, because there's a good reason why we haven't seen each other in person for a long time, because Chiara is joining us, of course, from Italy. So where where is this university? What university is it? Where can people find you if they're interested in maybe maybe getting into, into, that, into that school and, and, and joining your class? Absolutely. My university is called YED, and it's um it's a sort of equivalent to Parsons or Tisch, uh, and it's uh, in Milan. That is where I teach my course in Italy. But there are also um, other places uh, or that are part of YED in uh, in Rome, Turin, Venice, um, also in Spain and in Brazil, if I'm not mistaken. But if you want to come to my course, you have to come to Milan. And it's in English. I have all international <laughs> students, so you know. Well, you know they could come. They can come in English, Italian. Uh, well, you know, I'm sure somebody you know Spanish could figure it out if they had to. You know, if they didn't speak any of the other languages, right? <laughs> I also have Asian students, but you know the course is in English, so it's the lingua franca. Everyone can understand it. In terms and of the... language, in terms of concepts, we'll, we'll see. It depends. <laughs> it can become complex. I mean, language barriers are breeze, but when you get to the actual intellectual barriers, it's like that. That's that's where the, and I don't mean that to to talk down anyone, but obviously, intellectual barriers are another sort of concept that everybody just needs to climb over. And there's no textbook for that, but that's part of what makes courses like this interesting. And I'm sorry, I was ready to just cancel the the show and just have you do your course because yeah. that introduction is fantastic. <sighs> Yeah, let's, yeah, let's, you know what? We don't have to have talking about anything. Let's go. What's, what's lesson number one? 
okay, we can start with lesson number one, but I actually want, you know, the interaction because I don't want this to be yeah, a monologue. Yeah, of course. Of but course. <laughs> uh, I'm glad to to see your, you guys are sparking up interest in this discipline. And I can start off maybe with a more complex thing, but I think it truly resonates with uh, also with one of the quotes we find in the film. So basically, I find a very strong connection between The Truman Show and Plato's allegory of the cave. For those of you who are not familiar with the allegory of the cave, it tells a story about men who have lived their, their entire life chained up in a cave, but, uh, and behind them a fire burns, uh, causing shadows on the wall. And these prisoners, the entire reality of these prisoners uh, revolves around these shadows that they consider to be real. One day, one of the prisoners manages to break free and leaves the cave, and he realizes that those shadows were only representations of the reality outside. So very excited, he returns to the cave to tell his truth to his fellow prisoners, but they think that the prisoner has gone completely mad and they don't believe him. And I felt that this allegory very much reflects the... Um, uh, one quote that Christoph, the creator of The Truman Show, says is that we accept the reality of the world with which we are presented. And this is also how he tries to explain to the viewers um, why Truman never really um, managed to figure things out mm. or leave the show. And at the end of the day, we see Truman as that prisoner who tries, he, he, you know, he eventually pieces all the clues that are presented to him and he does leave that cave and realizes a different reality. So this is like the first thing that connected me to my discipline of how we experience things through our subjectivity. Well, I mean, and then for people who haven't seen The Truman Show, it's a movie about a guy who has a TV show based on his life and he doesn't know it. <laughs> and of course, everybody- I, I like Kiara, Kiara has this very, very intellectual description. I'm gonna be like, guy is in a show and he doesn't know it. Yeah. It's <laughs> true because he reflects the the typical um not even american western man he's a salesman uh, he lives a he works as an insurance salesman he has the wife maybe they're gonna have a kid uh his routine you know is uh is very reassuring and then at the end of the day everything was fabricated so so that is very very exciting and curious to analyze i find it amazing that we're doing this episode. First of all, Professor Gabardi has uh, has all automatically elevated our show just with this discourse, and that that's not just blowing smoke. Because honestly, like like I have not talked about Plato's allegory or probably like thought about it in, since philosophy class in college. So it was it's it's been a little while, but it's absolutely true. And just it's what's amazing that. Uh, sorry, words, Saturday morning. But what's amazing about the fact that we're talking about this show now is we recently did an episode on Pleasantville. And that's another film that's, it's, that's like a kissing cousin to this where it's very much dissecting the post-atomic mid-century modern family and aesthetic where it's like, that was something that everyone was sort of longing to get back to in the nineties, like good decent moral family values and fiber and, and, and the classics. And you really have that 
running amok in the Truman Show because again, just hearkening back to, and this is probably, I was just watching this again before coming on this morning. That scene where we ha- you have Harry Shearer's True Talk host talking to Kristoff and he's just laying out the history of the Truman Show and why it came to be and what it was. It's just so, that is like the pivot point of this film. Like at that point, you've been living with Truman and we've seen him do everything. We know that it's a TV show and all that, but getting all those details and even just hearing the language that's used, like Truman is an unwanted pregnancy. He was premature. Oh wanted One to get out of five unwanted pregnancies. Yes. And the first person legally adopted by a corporation. It's like, oh, wow. Watch, watching this again, it's aged well, sadly, because it's, it's, we're not quite there. But I mean, let's, let's just take it back to 1998 when this film was released. And reality television was still sort of an infant concept. Like we'd seen attempts at it. But it never Survivor was and everything else was still two years away. Like the real world was the most we had for this, but they knew they were in on it. And well, everyone still obviously knows they're in on it. But <laughs> this was just such a, a touchstone for that sort of thinking that when Survivor and all the other shows started to pick up, it's like, oh, we're living in the Truman show now. And you know, and not to take I, I forgot about it until just literally now which is weird because I guess we have, we'll have to do another episode about it. But, you know, it's also a case where, I mean, how many years difference or months difference was there when when there was Ed TV at the same time yes, for, as far as was, films go? That was 99. I, I was going <laughs> to mention that, though. Thank you. Thank you for bringing that up. That's why we're co-hosts. <laughs> but Kiata, uh, what was your first experience with Truman Show? Did you see it upon first release or did you catch it after after the fact? Oh my God, I have to admit, I do not remember the first experience because it's a film that I love so much that it really stuck with me. So it's, I wouldn't say it's always a first experience, but every time I find something new and so modern, so current, I feel what you were saying before about its connection to reality uh, TV is just so contemporary because I feel it's not Orwellian just in the way it shows how our lives are controlled by everything. You know, now you have a phone, you have a connection to the internet and they can track down whatever you you buy, whatever you talk about and everything. Um, But also the way everyone is craving for the uh, Andy Warhol's famous 15 minutes of fame because with social media, we all want that uh, exposure, visibility, and uh, the paradox of it all is that Truman did not want it, but he was born in it. Mm. Uh, and yet again, we see that contemporary phenomena in um, in the Truman Show with the people from the audience who were trying to intrude, people coming into the show with parachutes or just popping up in all sorts of ways. So it anticipated very much what we are living today. And, um, and I found very uh, fascinating how uh, Christoph, how the entire premise um, is given with the fact that the world has become tired of fiction. And so this is why they went for reality TV, which is something that probably resonates with how reality television developed in our world. But of course, the protagonists are aware that, it, that there's a show around them. So, so I found this aspect just so current that I, I cannot go back to the very first time I saw the film. Wait, it's funny because this is also something that is what I would consider fairly obvious from the from the minute the film came out. 
but rewatching it again, and I've, and I've seen it plenty of times over the years. It's not like this is the first time I've seen it in like 10 years or something like that. But as I was rewatching it last night, I, you know, I started to question something that I never really questioned previously, which again is something that I think the film lays out obvious, which is a time, which is a literal time frame, because clearly, even for 1998, this this world that they're creating the TV show for had to be more futuristic in a lot of ways, because the way this is set up, that dome, all the special effects they had, the cameras were not were not feasible for 1998, and oh, then the film is also man. set in that whole more that that, that homey. 50 style feeling of a life, even more so where the fact is that you have to think about then when Truman does leave, he's actually really leaving into more of a quote unquote utopia, you know, it probably isn't, but something that has a lot more technolo technological advances that were not even fathomable because even, even when the film was being made, it was just the start of when mobile phones for the normal consumer was even available. And that's talking about flip phones with antennas and stuff, you know? Um, you know, it, 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 it was a time where they didn't even have the idea of this. I mean, they had the idea of the smartphone, let's say, but, you know, what we're used to now was not there. So wondering what he's also stepping out into has a whole new meaning now than I think it did even back when it came out. Well, then that also ties into the fact that there was a whole deleted ending where we would have seen him go into the world. Like, I don't oh. know which draft it was because uh, for the listeners at home, there have been quite a few notes that have come out over time, over various varying drafts. Like there were some dark- This was a very dark movie to start with originally. <laughs> yes. And one of the endings is like Truman goes out and it's funny. I like just randomly stumbled on this the other day. Not, I mean, I do research, but like not prop, pro, not trying it was, it, to research. It just happened. It wasn't in your research yes. uh, delve. Yeah, yeah. But there was this whole ending where like he goes onto the studio lot and he sees- tours and like all the the merchandise and like almost throws someone's baby down i think and the baby's named after him Oy. like just very like they th this could have went a whole other different direction than the upbeat ending that we yeah. got well and again it's it's still it's still not the happiest there is still a depressing factor of about the yeah. whole movie let alone the beginning middle or ending but like when we He's say daughter, you know, it's like even not even talking about Jim Carrey, it could have been Jim Carrey and still been the same. But it's like this was like more of like a David Fincher seven type film for the first half. Yeah. Uh, as far as the atmosphere and the way people acted compared to what you got. Well, yeah. And I mean, he's truly born again at the end when you think about it. True. Maybe he's born for the first time. And uh, and we are reborn with him. And I found so fascinating to see how this film um, really brings to the light human behavior. And this we see it through the audience because they follow Truman's life as if he were part of the family. So, you know, like every day they know him, they, they, they feel what he feels. But then there's also this sort of uh, play-like approach because they start betting on him. Oh, he's going to leave, he's not going to leave. And ultimately, even though they're so attached to seeing him and living their lives in symbiosis with him, they cheer for his freedom. And then when he leaves, they're already, you know, ready to change channel and follow the next product of infotainment and say, okay, what's on tonight? So this like brilliantly captured human behavior, I felt. Well, it's, yeah, it's also, oh, go ahead, Mike, go ahead. Oh, just very quickly. I think this is one of the most heartbreaking utterances of, well, let's see what else is on. Like that, that's just such a dagger 
after all you've watched. And it's also a great laugh line. But at the same time, when you really sit with it, it's like, you just saw the first 30 years of this man's life on television. And that's, that's it. We'll see what else is on. But then again, those guys might've been younger and like, weren't there in the early Truman days. It's something that also just goes into the fact of how contradictory you know a lot of the ideas of both what the film what what you know Christoph wanted to create let's say and what we even now believe is is you know uh you know reality television and all this other stuff because I, you know I understand the feelings when people want to say certain things and again I you know reality television now that it bloomed much more out of the original writer's strike not the original writer's strike but our 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 modern times original writer's strike um even though it was going to be a thing anyway but you have somebody that says like, you know, like you were saying, you know, he's tired. People are tired of fiction. They want nonfiction, you know, so it's real, it's reality, but that ending couldn't have been scripted or if it was, it still would have been this falsity that they presented. So you have both this inner Truman show, uh, you know, delve into this idea of, you know, exactly what, it's not because it's not about what's supposed to be what's entertainment, but it's again, it is talking a little bit about that. And then breaking off into my whole, I have this whole thing that I'm sure I've talked about before, um, where I am so irritated that people think that television, especially reality television, is reality. Like they think the Kardashians is real life. That's not real life. And it goes yeah. back to to network where he, you know, gives the whole speech is like, you know. You know, yes, you think, well, I'm, you that, think we're the reality. Bro. You're the reality, people. We're the fiction. You know, and it's like, just it's got it's got so many layers to it where it's it's pure. This movie is pure entertainment, but in the same breath, it is blossoms out into all of these expl- expl- explorations into how life was kind of growing at that point and where we are now. And I'm ranting, and I don't even know where my original point was. <laughs> no, but that's so true. And you know, since you brought up network, I also wanted to discuss it from another angle that ties into the Truman Show. I'm happy to see Mike gets all excited. Oh, I love network. <laughs> oh, I love. It's my second it. favorite movie of all time. For those who don't know, yeah. Yes, I love it as well, and it's part of my lessons. So there we go. We're continuing with the professor <laughs> approach. But I think it ties that film and Howard Beale's death ties very much to the cynicism of the ratings within the Truman Show. Uh, when um, when um, one of the investors says, "We can't let him die in front of a live audience," and Christoph replies, "He was born in front of a live audience," and he also says, "The show has had the highest ratings with the you know with the standby graphics." than in the 30 years of, you know, all the the the, the other um, things that, 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 that they showed. So it very much ties in with what you were saying, reality television, um, and also the fact that, yes, there's always so much that is scripted in reality television. In, in case of The Truman Show, he was the only person who did not go by a script but all the people around him did follow the script and they also had were wearing ear prompters. So the, the producer, director, creator would actually feed them the lines. So it's it just mirrors so much of our reality. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the show kind of works on what I call Muppet theory, where it's like you have the one human performer and then, you know, they have that meme on the internet where it's like, okay, you recast a movie, one human performer, everyone else is Muppets. So it's like the one person that's like the anchor point and then everyone else is either in on the gag or not. 
And then it's just, that's how that ecosystem works. That's how Truman's life worked. Exactly. And, you know, besides philosophy, as you have seen, I love to philosophize, but I uh, I also found it was um, brilliantly distressing the, the way they also used psychology. For instance, the manipulation of psychology, the way the creator um, fabricated a trauma to repress Truman's innate thirst for adventure. So basically a, a very violent kind of brainwashing and uh and wow i mean that struck a chord because you know we always think of psychology as something that is useful to um overcome trauma you know you should talk to an analyst mm. to overcome that problem and here it's just a reversal they almost hired an a, a therapist to, to to stop uh truman from following his his true passion and his true calling so i found that also a brilliant uh you know well, there's, there's also very mm. weirdly seated underpinnings for things that don't even have a there's, there's no way that until he gets out and maybe sees a clip of the show that he can fathom uh, you know, things that have been affected because I love the fact that ultimately, you know, you learn that technically the score we're hearing for the film is the score for the show that they're doing live. But not only that, but the score is both very sweet and very menacing at the same time. So it's like all of these things that like are subconscious, not, they're not even subconscious because he doesn't know they exist, but also build into this idea of who he's become in a lot of ways because it's affecting how we as an audience in the film see him and the audiences in the TV show see him. This might, uh, side note, because of the score, this might've been the first time that I really latched onto Philip Glass's work because mm. of that one scene with Anthem part one and two where he just stands in front of the buses, like sort of testing his reality. And he just, that that's, that is one of the, that's like one of the most iconic scenes from this movie, as far as I'm concerned. Okay, interesting. All right. First testing this notion of his reality where he's really, he is reaching out of the cave and he's just standing there. And it's just, this film has such a tremendous performance by Jim Carrey. And I just remember being so disappointed when he didn't at least get nominated. I don't yeah, think, he should have been, I don't yeah. think he necessarily had to win because I forget what the competition was. But between this and this man on the moon and the majestic, I think he should have at least been nominated. I I will say, and this is this is nothing against this. this, this is, I don't know why I'm why I'm pre 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 ah, I don't know why I'm prefacing this like Internet. I'm about to say something de derogatory because I'm not. <laughs> but um, what I do find funny, and this is now going off on a little bit of a tangent, but um, I've never seen show? Ozark, but I've seen the meme of Julia Garner going. You're gonna have to tell me. I'm like that's the Truman Show. Why is nobody pointing out that that's Jim Carrey from the Truman Show at the end when they're trying to sink him in the boat? And and he's like, "Is that all you got? You're gonna have to kill me." You're it's like, hello. And that's really it's really funny that you mentioned that because who else is in the Truman Show but the talented, the incomparable Ms. Laura Linney? And yeah. just. Oh, oh I, I forget. Okay. I, I, she's an Ozark. Duh. Okay, you've got such <laughs> like, a murderer. Why is he saying that? Why is that? I mean, I, I know she's in the movie, but where does that fit in? I got you've it. got <laughs> such a murderer's row in here because you have Jim Carrey, obviously. Ed Harris is absolutely mind blowing as Kristoff. And another fun parallel is the fact that he's in this manufactured reality that's bent by a corporation to its own whims. And uh, then he would later be on Westworld. Uh, you've got Holland Taylor. Nat I think this is the first time I saw Natasha McElhone in a film. 
I was Noah Emmerich. McCloin. Maybe I'm saying McCloin. Okay, I am. I so think so. I think so. I could be wrong. Yeah, and then just you know Philip Baker, uh, Philip Baker Hall, just another like, and then Paul Giamatti. I was just about to mention Paul Giamatti because yeah. this is a film where you cast so many people that if you just put them in one scene, they crush, but you let them crush for a whole movie. This is also, I, you know what, I, ugh, I and, know they're and, different people. I know they're different people, but every time I try to say his name, I say Cole Hauser. I, I know it's not Cole Hauser. Just don't get me wrong. But uh, I forget now. I now I keep forgetting his his real name though, because I think this is the first time I need saw... the script book in front of you because it has all the credits at the end. Who's the character we're discussing? Uh, his friend, his best friend. That's so, Noah Emmerich. Uh, Noah Emmerich. Yeah, yes, no, that's Marlon. No, like, I think that's I think that's the first time I remember seeing him is what I was going to say. Same. Probably. Same. I found very interesting how his character and especially the wife played by Laura Linney. Um, represent the reality of product placement. Oh. I think that's so subtle and so amusing as well, because um, uh, as, it, as it is explained within <laughs> the film, the, the show is on 24 hours without any uh, um, advertisement interruptions. And so that's the only way they can um, insert their, um, uh, their products. And it's just so amusing when out of the blue, maybe they're having an argument and she's like, oh, we should uh, try this new drink, uh, Mococa, or you should buy a new Moa. And this actually, because I did a bit of uh, research, did my homework, <laughs> um, I went hunting down to when we had the earliest example of product placement, and apparently it goes back to the time of the Lumiere brothers, uh, who um, who had a representative, the the Lever brothers, who were uh, creating a soap, and they introduced this soap in one of their early films. So it's just uh, you know it's gone a long way from the Lumiere brothers to the Truman Show to, of course, nowadays especially if we return to the conversation about uh, reality shows, because uh, I don't know if it's Big Brother, the reality show, they live in a house and, you know, the furniture is prim promoted by brands and so on. So I, I found that so brilliantly inserted and discussed in the film. Well, I I'm mean, sorry, and also, I'm... I mean, oh, go, actually, Mike, go ahead, because I, I, was, I, going, I was going, okay, well, because I'm, know, I... I'm going off product placement for a second. So go with your, your thing and I'll, Look, I, I don't mean to inter I don't mean to interrupt the show. And Overdue Rentals does not do product placement. But I would like to say that if there was an official <laughs> laundry service for Overdue Rentals, it would be the Eagle Hand Laundry. <laughs> Are your Eagle's hands dirty? We'll wash. The I, I don't know. That's that's an that's an old Looney Eagle's hands. <laughs> well, it's, an old, it's a Looney Tunes <laughs> reference. It's a reference from. Oh, okay. All right. The, all right. Small thing, and then we get back to to what you were saying, Matt. But <laughs> one of my favorite. Oh, that's the first time I think I've called you Matt on air. But Aww. one of my favorite. How dare you? Looney Tunes is this ep this short called The Ducksters, and it was basically making fun of old uh, radio game shows. And Daffy Duck's the host. He's tormenting Porky Pig, and he would have these interruptions for the Eagle Hand Laundry. So that's just that was my little thing. But <laughs> yeah, the the back to Matthew. now now to my deep depressing thoughts about relationships. Because oh damn it, okay, back <laughs> to the Eagle, back to the Eagle. No, please, please. Well, no, because what you know. It's something that I always thought about too, but again, re-watching it last night, I started thinking about more so about the idea that, you know, because everybody there is an actor, you know, sure, his parents, you know, they technically raised him in a way, 
So I feel that, you know, if we were to go outside of this, they'd, they'd try to reconnect and say, well, we, we did raise you. You know, we, we, we do care about you. His father, literally, obviously, the reason he's trying to rape, break back in is because it's like, this. I raised this kid. What the fuck, you know? But. Mm, I would disagree. Sorry to wait, interrupt well, you. Okay, go I ahead. I feel he wants to be back on the show. You Robert. think he wants to be back on the show, yeah. Yes. The only one who's trying to save the kid is the potential girlfriend. Yes, Sylvia, but that, that, well, that, was where it was, that was where I was going to go with, 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 with what I was saying is because there's much of these people in their minds may want to try and convince themselves that they care about him. Kristoff is even more of a conundrum because he does think he cares about him. He does think he's his father. Um, but of course, he's the person probably cares about him the least as an actual person. And I just find it interesting to then try and dissect everybody's, again, as we know, yeah, we know Natasha McCoy is the one who's, you know, most of all trying to, 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 to care about him and, and does. And I will say to this day, no matter how prepared I am for it, every time he finally pulls out the picture and you realize that's what he was doing the magazines i'm starting like a little bit like it always wells me up a little bit but Aww. there is that there is that you know like dichotomy of now trying to think of where anybody because i think paul giamatti even some ways necessarily doesn't care about him but does care about what happened probably is the probably the next person that we see the most that would say has some sort of interest in his well-being somehow but it's that idea of comparing the people who are acting with him to the person who's trying to control his life. And I just I just find it interesting to kind of try and dissect. You know, uh, I'll jump in because what you said about Christoph caring for him almost as a father figure um, is actually very well encapsulated when he says, I know, I know you better than you know yourself, mm -hmm. which I think also acts a little bit like reverse psychology because no one wants to hear from someone else that, you know, they can pick our brain. So actually it triggers us to do the opposite. And maybe that's also the, the final push Truman needs to step out of that door. But Christoph always to justify his choices to the world, to the audience, he uh, he always says that he has given a chance to Truman to lead a normal life that is yet again sheltered and that actually the real world is a sicker place and that there's no more truth out there than there is within the show. So as you were saying, Matt, uh, maybe he... He doesn't feel, but maybe he wants to convince himself that he is yeah. being the good parent. Oh, 100%, yeah. Well, yeah, and this movie is also the ultimate argument of free will versus determinism, because that is exa exactly in that dialogue where it's like, oh, if his will was set, like, it's literally right in the text. It is no longer subtext, but it's done so beautifully where it's like, if his will was was great enough, he would he would do what he had to and get over those nasty fears that we put in his mind purposely to keep him in here for Mokoko's purpose. In terms of um, free will, can I sprinkle some more? Please, I have to do it again. No, if I did it first, if I did it once, I have to do it again because I just, I, again, this is enlightening. I just, I love this level of, of discourse. I'm, I, I guess I'm an academic at heart. Oh, that's lovely. Well, in this case, I'm going to bring existentialism to the table. And I'll get the... my turtleneck ready. <laughs> with the Jean-Paul Sartre. Be... Oh. Because... Okay, because Sartre discuss the concept of bad faith the fact that we that all of us most of us live in bad faith basically um portraying a standard that society expects from us 
In, in one of his publications, he used uh, the example of the waiter at the Café des Fleurs, where, you know, he would go and write and meet with Simon de Beauvoir. And he said that this uh, waiter was a little too precise, a little too meticulous, and he was acting in bad faith, running away from his true calling or true desire of being whatever else he wanted, any profession at all. And I feel that uh, without knowing it, Truman somehow is acting in bad faith because he is playing a character that society is expecting him to play. Perhaps even if he were not living within that show, but you know, um, working as an insurance salesman, uh, being married to a woman he doesn't love, even if all of this uh, life he leads had been transposed out into the real world, he would still be acting in bad faith because he wanted to be an explorer, he wanted to pursue another woman, and so on. And finally, he lives up to his own, who, to his true potential, abandoning bad faith. So I also felt I could find a bit of that idea within the Truman Show. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, it, it, I mean, it, even in the psychological aspect that goes towards self-actualization. Exactly. And the whole, the limits that are imposed upon us psychologically and societally, like, oh, well, you know, on one hand, society tells us, reach for the stars, kid. If you, you don't make it, you'll land on the moon. And then, oh no, reach for the moon, you'll land among the stars, you know. But on the other hand, it's like, you have to know your limitations. You you have to, you really have to pace yourself. You really have to do this or that. And it's okay. Which one is it? Should I be shooting for my dreams or should I go with the office job? Exactly, exactly. So I felt, you know, it was something that we call we could all empathize with to to break free from that cage that society builds for us. And you know, we just have to tick the boxes that are expected from us. Yeah, well, you know, uh, I think I feel if I if we go any further with that, we're just we're going to end up on another hour talking about philosophy of life. <laughs> We're going to step it. straight into Bunuel territory. And that, that's where we're going to go. <laughs> and then we're going to wash the eagle's hands. <laughs> I lost myself. I lost myself somewhere in there. Um, you know, what What about, though, you know, to, to kind of take it, though, into a more... Um, well, I don't mind having philosophical discussions, but to also talk about maybe more of a less philosophical thing. Because, you know... When it came out, I think less people were questioning the idea of, you know, because like, this happens in every story. Is like, why is all this stuff happening now? Why is there randomly lights falling, rainstorms, you know, on his head, you know, uh, localized just to his head now and his father showing up now? And, you know, people recently have now come up with more of the ideas. Like, well, they feel that, you know, there's been more infiltration of people trying to get to him and they have more, there's somebody on the inside, Paul Giamatti, I don't know who are affecting things to try and and push this along do, do any does any of that matter to you guys does it, you know does does that ever even enter into your head just because the rest of it is so just like this is what it's trying to tell me so I don't care or do you actually think about those those little minute details do you I'm want sorry, to what, um which small details again any 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 of them the idea that the idea that all of this is happening to him right now that like in the span of a few days all of these oh. accidents happen the light falls the light falls from the ceiling the rainstorm gets isolated on him the radio gets yeah. tuned into the people following him all that stuff oh so your question's more like why now out of any no, that's that's time. always been the question but people yeah. have recently have come up with their idea their theory that it was somebody on the inside who has been oh, trying oh, that, to yes, now push okay. him which is why it's all happening yeah 
I mean, that is that is a very interesting theory. And I like the f- that the film is vague enough that you can have that theory while also not having to be married to it. But it definitely fits the, it would, as a narrative, it definitely fits because it would fit into people trying to get back in, Sylvia's presence, you know, calling the show and agitating things. You really could push, like you said, Paul Giamatti's character could very much be part of that sort of inner working and I feel a very a different version of that. That would be a very different version of that this film. Yeah, because, those yeah. are speculations one would make in parallel. I think maybe from from a more simplistic angle, it's it it's the reason that you know drives the narrative. But if I may dare, I would like to drop a bomb since Matthew asked me to be more contemporary. Contemporary. Did I? I'd <laughs> like to hear from you guys. Um, I think. But from a certain perspective, this film could be the delight of conspiracy theorists. Mm. Oh, what yeah. What do you think? <laughs> yes. That's my problem with a lot of films nowadays is because the minute you come up with it, you come, the minute you come up with an intriguing idea for your story, whether it's a movie, a TV show, a book, a, a song even, you know, as long as you come with a character that's like, you're just giving credence to somebody's like crazy idea uh, that has to be real and like, my, that, that's my I'm not saying that conspiracy theories are all wrong I mean there could be random ones that have something to them I'm, but I'm not a conspiracy theorist but the idea being that is that the minute you lend credence to any of it it's all real but people don't use any sort of logic it's like if you want to combat conspiracy theorists with certain things it's like and, and again I'm not trying to please anybody listening please Kiara please Michael do not believe that I believe this but I'm using this as the example or two examples and one or the other. Like if you want to be that person who believes we never went to the moon, I don't think you're right, but I'm more accepting in your idea to try and want to believe that because yes, we were in the space race, the idea of trying to beat the Russians. So you have a certain groundwork that makes sense as to why that would be the case compared to flat earthers. Who's like, why? It's like, what, what does anybody gain from, is, is the people make globes billionaires and they, that's the only way they can keep making money? It's like, why does somebody have a reason to lie to you Big about the shape of the goddamn planet? Like, that's that simple. So, like, the minute any small thing is built in, whether how wild it is or you're not wild it is, it just lends credence to some crazy nut that's going to take it somewhere that doesn't belong. It's Big Map, Matthew. Big Map <laughs> is behind all of it. Yes, right. like, who the fuck is gaining anything from calling it uh, not what it is it's like no it's not it's not flat don't worry about it we know who's gonna f- who's getting anything out of that nobody shut the fuck up people <laughs> but, but you see, this is the reason why the film is so current and um Maybe since another hot topic of our time is feminism or at least gender equality in the role of the woman uh, of the woman and of women in general. Um, and if we want to connect it to, to film, we can uh, we could we could say that this film does not pass the Bechtel Wallace test, because at the end of the day, the only women that are present and and talk to each other always revolve around Truman or men. And so there again. There is little female empowerment, even though Sylvia tries, you know, to be the self-assertive woman who is political and has created a movement to free to free Truman. But it, but she's always, you know, 
existing because he is there. So uh, I thought that this could be also another element and um, that could be interesting for our conversation. Yeah, but I mean, apart from, you know, a lot of a lot of arguments around, I mean, like, I, I understand the Bechdel test thing, but in the same breath, it's like, I'm not going to go into the whole point. Is, the thing about this movie is like, that's the whole point. It is. It's all about Truman. Unfortunately, that's yeah. the whole, that's the yeah, whole, yeah, yeah. that's the whole thing. You know, it's like, <laughs> well, I mean, everybody's supposed to talk about him, I guess, you know, and you know, the, the actors, you know, may have different discussions behind the scenes, but we don't see any of that. So, you know, nobody's going to care about it. True. And I mean, to that point, this is one of those movies that I guess would really test the, I mean, I, I, I don't remember the other tests that have come out of, the post Bechdel world where I know other people have said, ah, oh, the Bechdel test is flawed because of this, this, and this. And first of all, that's not the point. It was the the cornerstone that got us to discuss this. And you build from that. You don't just say, oh, it's the Bechdel test is bullshit. We got to do this. It's like, okay, that was a good first step. Here's where we go next. So you can't discredit it. But also <laughs> this is one of those challenges where it's like, okay, the film is about a man a, you know, a cis het man who is there to be the center of attention, literally supposed to be the center of attention and the center of the show. And while there's a whole, that is something that challenges the test. It is also, you know, you remove gender or anything else. You recast this lead with anyone of any stripe. You could put a trans person in here. You could put a, a female, you could put a, a, a non-binary, asexual person. Like you could remove Alien. all of those other trappings. Exactly. And yeah. the story would still be as applicable. Yes. No, but to me, I mean, a, a good film does not have to um, surpass the, the test. I think this is a brilliant film. That's why I, I wanted to have this conversation yeah. with you. And I brought up the test and the idea of feminism because I think it goes back to what Matt was saying at the very beginning, that somehow this Truman show echoes the world of the 50s. So that uh, that is also connected to an era where gender roles were very much different from what they are today. Yeah. Also the way, you know, the wife is coming back home and, kick, and cooking for the husband and she's not like a CEO of a company. She's a nurse. She takes care. She's always the nurturing kind. And She's the mother is there. also the nurturing kind. So I think, you know, I brought this conversation up because I think it really, you know, um, enhances the entire world that is being created. Well, yeah, because there's that subtext for, again, traditional values, going it's back to the nuclear family, like all the stuff that Gene Hackman, Senator in the Birdcage talks about. And it's just, you know, we, we got to get people back, uh, women back in the homes and, you know, live it. well, he doesn't specifically talk about that, but you know, those type of characters, like two steps away from, you know, the, the woman being in the home and the man being the bread maker and, and, you know, the, the family doing their part. And, you know, it's also very conservative with the sex scenes because uh, one of the audience members at the at the <laughs> yep, end of the day says, oh, the, the camera always turns away when those interesting the moments come up. I mean, imagine nowadays they would show us like every minute detail, Big which is not necessarily be, being liberal, but being very voyeuristic. You'd have but a whole separate day, you have to pay for for that. Exactly. Exactly. Bang upon that, those scenes. But um, it's exactly what you were saying, Mike. It just, you know, nurtures that conservative dimension that is being depicted in the entire film. Uh, I mean, you look at the you look at the next step from this. It's uh, I forget the name of the bit the the Black Mirror episode from season one, but it's the uh, reality show episode. Where I don't know the names of any of the episodes, so it's the one with Daniel Kaluuya. No, no, no. I, I just don't know the names of the episodes. I, yeah. 
Well, I know, but it's just it's the it's an episode with Daniel Kaluuya where I think it's like a million likes or ten thousand likes or something. But it's basically yeah. a world where reality television is everything. Like you literally have to watch ads to earn credits to live. Yeah, but it's also what I think what they did. I think uh, Daniel Duncan Jones did it in Mute, right? Where it's like uh, you can have real life ads. So if you can't pay for something, some guy sits on the bus with you and just reads an ad for an hour while (laughs) while you wait to to get whatever you paid for. Mute is Mute is another another film I want to do on here, uh, as well as Master and Commander: The Far Side of the World. Another Peter Weir film, eh? (laughs) Which I meant. What did you say? Another Peter Weir film. That's what I was I was mentioning it because you have Peter Weir directing this movie. I mean, you you look at his resume and it's like Fearless, Truman Show, and Master and Commander in a row. Fearless, man. Fearless is a, that's a. And then Andrew Nichol, who is, he was on a heater of a run too, because this was after Gattaca and it's before Simone, which just mark that on the list again also, because that's another film I oh, want to no, discuss. I love that film. That has very much of a similar vibe to the Truman Show. I, yes, like Gattaca. I would... Oh, go on. Well, no, no, no. I... Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Just Gattaca, Truman Show, Simone is like this perfect trilogy of just prescient, funny, but also on the bleeding edge of terrifying films. I think the Truman Show is the perfect example of why Andrew Nichol shouldn't make his own movies. Fair. Gattaca, you know, has a certain love for it by a bunch of people, even though it's like one of these things that flopped and didn't get its right due when it kind of came out kind of thing. No, it's an overdue rental. Yeah, but- Andrew Nichols is a guy that has ideas, but when you see them, when he makes them especially, they're really not that great. He needs yeah. other people like Peter Weir to go like, well, no, this is what you really need to do to make this what it is. Uh, but I don't think he, I'm not trying to talk down about the man, but I think he should do more writing and allowing people to mess with his writing than being yeah. like, this is what I wrote, this is what I gotta make kind of guy. Like I, I love Simone, I love Lord of War. But, I, you know, it's uh, two other writers I'll throw out there that fit this mold to a T. Alex Garland and Aaron Sorkin. I like it mm-hmm. better when someone else collaborates with them and they're more focused on the words versus, you know, Alex Garland. It's like, I love Ex Machina. Ex Machina is the one that, like, is like the exception of the rule, just like Andrew Nichol has Simone. And, 20 Days Later? Uh, t- well, 20 Days Later was Danny Boyle directing. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. Oh, that's right, because I, I yeah. thought for some reason somebody else did Ex Machina. My bad. Yeah, Go but ahead. then you have, you know, for, for every Ex Machina, there's, I was I was not on board with Annihilation or Men with Andrew Nichol. And then- well, <laughs> I do want oh. to just say really quickly about Men. Oh. The one problem I have with Men is that it's way too on the nose. Like they hit you with, it's like, if they would have been a little more subtle with it, which is again, you know, it's like, then it would have been a different thing. That's all I was going to say. Yeah. Or even like with, with Aaron Sorkin, you know, Molly's game, I thought it was a compelling story, but I really wished someone else was in there to really rein it in because you, I mean, you look at social network and you look at Steve Jobs and those are, those are phenomenal, flawless, peerless films as far as I'm concerned, like two of my favorites, but Sorkin is so good at the text, but then you've got someone like Fincher or or Boyle there to drive the, the the whole vision together. And it's just, they're very good collaborators, but then you get to something like, you know, Andrew Nichol did the host. <laughs> and I still haven't watched the host, but that was like, that was like, Andrew, oh, oh, Matthew, should I watch the host? 
No, the host, <laughs> you should watch the host for I will. Here's what I will say, and I'm gonna ruin it, it. Including you, Mike, because I I reviewed it, and my favorite thing about the host, which is of course thing something I hate, but my favorite thing to talk about because I think it's so funny is that. So how how these aliens get into your body in his his movie, The Host, or I think it was a young adult novel. I'm not sure. But how they get into your body is they they drug you or kidnap you, keep you asleep. Then they put a slit in the back of your neck and then they put the thing inside of you. And that's how the host gets into your body. So my comment was, is like, how did this how did this entity get into the first person? Did somebody just happen to accidentally slit the back of the throat, uh, slip the back of the neck around one, just fall on top of it? Like, how did this thing take over its first human? It makes absolutely no sense if that's how the thing takes over your body. Anyway, I think we need a Ridley Scott prequel. Yeah, exactly. I will. I do also want to say that we didn't mention, uh, and and I'm and I'm not trying to again talk down about anybody because it's not like he's very well known, but it's not like his career skyrocketed. But this also has a very early cameo from Peter Krause pre Six Feet Under. Um, oh. You know, he's the he's he's the he's um he's like at the beginning he's like, hey, you you know, you, what about the promotion or whatever it was? Like, you had to make these many sales. That was yeah, like. That's it. Just wanted to mention that. <laughs> yeah, and I'll throw in one last thing before Kiara gets to come back into the conversation because we we need Kiara to come back in. It's like I, I I get nervous about these sorts of things where it's like I know I'm one of the hosts, I know I have thoughts too, but it's like I don't want to override the guest. Another sort of prescient, without trying to be prescient, aspect was you go into that travel agency and there's all those posters of sentence and travel things. Oh yes. <laughs> Be aware, and it's like ah, two thousand. This could happen to you. Yes, and yes. It's like, oh, two two thousand one was gonna have so much fun with that. But then also, even before that, like I remember being at the airport as a kid, picking up or like uh, either picking up my grandparents, or there was a, a summer that we went to Germany. But also picking up my grandparents from Newark Airport when they would go to Germany in the summer, there would be these ads with like sketchy taxi drivers or limo drivers oh. holding up signs for people and it's like know your driver or something like that like all those oh scare my. tactics that they love to use where it's like be aware say so if you see something you better say something well that's that's us that was 9 11 you know <laughs> yeah oh no yeah that was yeah <laughs> um but anyway i think now that's the that's the oh does everybody hear that drilling no okay no. good um they're just putting in a new camera. Head. That drilling is the sign that I am not real and that you should all now go watch the Truman Show, cross off your overdue rentals list, come back, let us know what you thought. But of course, to do that, people need to find us. But before they find us, they also have to find you, Kiara. Where can people find you out on the internet? Uh, on Instagram, it's my name and surname, Chiara Spagnoli Gabardi. I, if they Google me, they'll find various reviews for uh, multiple outlets. Uh, on Twitter, I'm Claire Spanish, and Facebook, I like to keep more private. So I don't know, maybe they should come back to Overdue Rentals and ask about me. So, you know, they get to see more of your uh, episodes, and then who knows, I'll be back to visit you. We got to make it happen, or I'll or I'll make it to Milan somehow. Finally, oh, yeah. 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 No, I say somehow. I don't have the money to travel right now, people. Sorry, but when, <laughs> look, when the show gets big, we can do a whole episode. We can do like we can go travel travel episodes, and Milan will have to be one of them, obviously. But to get big, people need to come and find us a little more, right? Mike, how can people find us? Well, before I tell how, everyone how to find us, there's one last thing I do want to mention. This isn't a product placement joke, but rather 
if you are a fan of the Truman Show like us, there is the shooting script of the Truman Show. If you're watching a clip of this, I'm holding it on camera. But what's really interesting about this is not only is it a draft that has some of the deleted scenes still in it, there is a full section in the center of photos and notes by Andrew Nichol about various characters and pieces of the reality. And there's that travel poster right there. It could happen to you. There's also a picture of Truman eating a baby. Oh my God. I mean, yeah, they had to cut that scene because that that was just too much for, for the Midwest. But I mean, one of the interesting details is the guy that's in the, the bathtub the whole time. Apparently he died not too long after the finale because the TV fell into his tub. No way. I'm not even kidding. Like I'm I'm literally looking for the the actual note here because I I need to back. Here we go. Roland Lyman, a celebrity in his own right, claimed to have watched every second of the 29-year-old show since the Truman Show ran 24 hours a day. Lyman, who averaged 3 hours of sleep per night, would later watch what he missed on tape. Lyman tragically died of electrocution during the show's final minutes when his television set fell into the bathtub. So that scene where you see poor Lyman splashing around happily, yeah. That would have made a very dark film of the Truman Show. I know. So once again, Truman Show just on that bleeding edge of darkness. But I mean, we could talk about that another time or you can extrapolate your own thoughts about that, dear listeners, by listening to this episode with the lovely Kiata. And if you want to listen to other episodes with other lovely guests, and frankly, we say it every time. We say it a lot to each other. We have such wonderful guests on this show and we are approaching that 100 episode mark. So if you want to listen to the 90-something episodes that we've got here, well, Matthew's not yelling at me. No, I'm, I'm yelling at It's like, not you, Kiara, though. You're not one of them. <laughs> well, Matthew's not berating us like like, like our, the Christoph of our times. You can find us on TikTok and Instagram at Overdue Rentals Show, on Twitter, on Rentals Overdue, on Facebook at Overdue Rentals. And if you want to email us love letters, suggestions for later films, or your own Truman Show theories, or maybe if anyone happens to have some of those early drafts, I mean, we'll keep it secret. We're, we're good here. You can email us at overdurentals at gmail.com. But while you're doing all this stuff on the internet, which would have made the Truman Show a completely different show if it was the way it is today. I mean, I could think of compelling reasons to make not only a remake, but also a sequel. But, you know, I'm not going to put that out into the world because this is just a wonderful film. But there are intriguing prospects, especially on the sequel end, we can talk off camera. But if you want to listen to our other episodes, again, almost a hundred of them are out there and it is a beautiful thing. You can find us wherever you ethically source your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, whatever pod platform it is, we're probably there. And since you know you have your feelers out already, you're, you're really into overdue rentals and you want to help us grow. Why wouldn't you want to help us grow? We're, we don't have Mococo money here. You can very easily rate, review, or subscribe to us on those various platforms. And you really should, especially because my favorite thing to point out is the fact that Spotify has individual episode feedback. And I love that because if you love the Truman Show episode and you want Kiata to come back, you should be leaving us notes to have that, even though we're we're going to have her back. We need to have her back. This was just phenomenal. Yes, definitely. Hearts all, nothing but love in the room for everyone here. And can I salute you guys? Oh, thank Can you. I, I just wanted to to say goodbye to you and say, in case I don't see you again, you good, stole it. good evening and good night. <laughs> oh, that was my that bye was, one, Mike. I, I, that was that was mine too, but we can still do that because Kiara <laughs> did it so lovely. And oh man, but yeah, that's just that is overdue rentals for this this episode, ladies, gentlemen, dear listeners. 
dear listeners, I try to stay away from ladies and gentlemen because it's just the binary. And it's like, I really try to stay with dear listeners because it's, I want everyone to be here. We want everyone to be here. So everyone, thank you for listening to Overdue Rentals. And as Kiara beautifully pointed out, and as Matthew obviously had ready because we're mind twins at this point, in case we don't see you, good afternoon, good evening. You're going to have to kill me! <laughs>